Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. And so as we preach this last message in Micah, can I encourage myself and would you sit in this with me? Is that maybe as we all collectively feel the fatigue of hearing about judgment and justice and retribution. Maybe we turn that into praise today and praise God for his patience and praise God because all of these scriptures are here for us to remind us of his steadfast and unusual love towards a wayward people. And every time God laid out his judgment, it was an always an invitation to some to come back. So maybe before we just get rolling today, would you just pray with me? Lord, we just confess together that these are not our favorite verses. But today, would you help us to see in them the call of a loving shepherd to come back to me? sweet voice that says, I do not delight in the destruction of the wicked. It's necessary, but I do not delight in it. Come back to me. God, would you turn the hearts of your covenant children to praise, even as we sit in an unjust world, an evil world, and just darn right dark at times. And as we feel that darkness, may we be reminded that the only reason that you haven't made all things new is because you're being patient so that other people can come to live in the glorious world you're providing, God. And today as we hear these words, would you remind us that of all the gods on this planet, you alone are unrivaled in your steadfast and covenant love towards your children. May we take assurance and comfort in that today. In Jesus' name, and we all say, amen, amen, and amen. Hey, man. So we in it. We are at the final stage. Micah has laid out this prophecy on behalf of the Lord. And if you were looking for simple outlines and ways to kind of understand the book, it really kind of, if you follow it, it's got three big, 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 big judgment prophecies. And they've always kind of been encapsulated with just a little sliver of hope. You know, at the end of chapter one, hey, these people are bombing, but don't worry, there's a shepherd coming. And then, hey, the leaders, they're horrible. They're abusing God's people. They're, they're tipping the scales of justice and leaning in, in their favor, but don't worry, I'm gonna crush Jerusalem, but I'm gonna rebuild it one day. There's always a little sliver of hope. And so we saw that, that dark space of Micah 6, where it's like, hey man, you, it was the culmination. It, there was no more things to be left um, to your imagination. The Lord says, y'all are wrong, and guess what? I've got to uh, uh, bring my divine punishment and judgment against you. But here we have the final sliver of hope today. So here's good news. <laughs> we got the final sliver of hope today. And so um, when I read the passage, all I could think about, this is really about the last prophetic kind of 
uh, uh, implication that Israel will rise again. Zion will be restored. The Davidic line will be, be uh, regained and placed back intact. And all I could think about as Michael will begin this kind of prayer and exhortation, all I could think about was Debo and Smokey, you know. <laughs> I just kept thinking about like school fights when, you know, we used to get in fights at school. And man, I'm talking about the little joke, get whooped down. One of our buddies, and we'd be like, bro, you all right? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. You know, I'm going to be back, I'm going to get him next week. I'm like, okay, all right. We believe you, bro. You know what I'm saying? Get your, get your push-up game up, maybe. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. You know, Debo, you know, Smokey was like, you know, I got mind control over Debo, you know? You know, he say things to me, I'd be quiet, but then when he leave, I'd be talking again, you know, real confident, you know, real confident. Israel is just, they are, they are this is... A, 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 a prayer and an exhortation, this prophetic, has assumed that exile has happened. Israel now is in ruins. They're lying flat on the mat, so they are down now. Um, and Micah will, will be lifting these words up. And it's, and it's this glimmer of hope, at least from him, that one day Israel will get back up off the mat. That one day they will be a strong nation again, and not just a strong nation, the strong nation. Um, and all the nations of the earth will flock to them. And so here we are. Um, and I want to talk about the way forward. It's the best title I could come up with. I was like, man, I'm no title to message because you know I'm a black pastor. You know we always got to have titles. Title. Put the title in your Bible. The way forward. Um, but as we see in Micah 7, 8 through 20, I think the way forward from this dark place of exile in the midst of, of tribulation and exile the way forward is through accountability, prayer, and praise. Accountability, prayer, and praise. If we're going to get back up off the mat, what are we going to need to do? We're going to need to have some accountability. We're going to need to pray. And we're going to need to praise God in the middle of it. Amen, somebody. So let's talk about accountability. Verse 8 and 9 says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. They're going to Debo verse right there. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Shadows of John. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my case. All right, let's just pause right there. Everybody say accountability. So what's happening here is Jerusalem is being personified. Those personal pronouns that we see, the I, is not Micah talking. This is Jerusalem being personified, right? And so what's happening, according to one commentator, is the city is being likened to a prisoner of war, near death and in a dungeon of gloom, yet the Lord provides the sure hope of freedom. This is what's happening. Jerusalem, while they're on the mat, eventually will come to their senses. This is like prodigal son. I'm sitting there eating the slop. I come to myself, and I have to have a moment of accountability, and I have to realize the way I was doing things is not the way I should be doing things. Amen, somebody. So this is what Jerusalem does. Can I tell you, you will never get up off any mat in your spiritual life without first coming to account. I don't care how many times you run up here and we pray over you, and I don't care how many times you read the devotion that you read or whatever, unless you come to an account, you will not rise again. Let's talk really quickly about accountability. This whole book, 
one of the undertones all the way through it has been about repentance. We told you that the faithful people in Micah are not a perfect people. The faithful people were just the people who were willing to admit we're doing things wrong. The reason why God had to send his own people into exile, the reason why God destroyed the temple that bore his name is because his people would never admit they were doing things wrong. It just would never stop. And then they would hire prophets to assure them that they were doing the right thing. They would change and contort theology to assure themselves that they were doing the right thing. And all the while, God was just saying, I'm still a God who delights in showing mercy. I want to forgive you, but you won't admit you're wrong. Come on, yo. Let me help you in your personal life. We Romans 3, 23, what is it? Uh, for God so loved the world. No, 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 you're in the wrong book. You're in the wrong book. <laughs> all of sin, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? We've all fallen short. Let me help you with some, some contemporary interpretation. We still sinning and falling short of the glory of God. And let me help you too. You probably, I say this often and I want to keep repeating, you probably haven't grown in your spiritual life past the last time you have repented. You know what I'm recognizing? We got a bunch of Christians who know more Scripture, but we don't have a lot of mature Christians. You just because you learned a couple verses, just because you learned a couple more words in your lexicon, a couple more ologies, don't mean you've grown in your walk. You grow when you realize, uh-oh, I still haven't reached the, the standard. Oh, but praise be to God, there's grace for me to keep going through, and I don't have to die for not see you. That's how we grow. That's how we grow. Because every time you come in contact with the gospel and you realize that where you are is absolutely not deserved, it just motivates you to want to go live harder for it. That's how I know some of y'all ain't got it yet. That's how I know. Because when you encounter the true gospel, it does not crush you. It lifts you. How could you receive such an amazing, undeserved gift and still, I'm not worthy? What are you talking about? You're, how do you stare at that body? How do you intake the body and the blood and not be like, I can't believe this? Are you sure? And if this is true, let's go get some more, baby. I got to tell some other people about this way we live. The way that uplifts, it doesn't crush. But it starts first with a lifestyle of repentance. You guys, we got to be able to say, yes, I did it. And listen at me. As we try to learn how to welcome new words and new ideals into our lexicon and our philosophy and the way we live. Let's just deal with shame. You do know when you get your hand caught in the cookie jar, the Holy Spirit, he going he gonna to tap that leg. He going to tap that leg. Hey, woo, what's that feel like? That's mama saying, uh-uh-uh, we going the wrong way. When that, when that spiritual leg get tapped, that's not shame coming on you. That's just to let you know we're going the wrong direction. 
And sometimes you run away, say, oh, man, no, I feel ashamed. No, 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 no. Let's know, let's know the difference. The Holy Spirit will bring some guilt to say, uh-uh-uh, we need to about face. Because the Holy Spirit says, not that you are wrong, but what you are doing is wrong. Come on, somebody. That's the difference, shame and guilt. Holy Spirit says, you're not wrong, what you're doing is wrong. Shame says, you are wrong. And we know the difference. You are not wrong, blood-bought child of God, redeemed one, priest, joint heir with Christ. You are not wrong, could never be wrong. You've been made right. And how you're acting right now is wrong, but you are not. And you better be willing and ready to accept that often. It is just so many times we fall short. Brother, I'm sorry. Man, the way I... I told you to play that song. I, would you forgive me, brother? God, forgive just, Come on, man. How many want to be better, quicker to repent this year? Come on, man. I just don't want it to be such a long process. Lord, just show me. Show me. Lead me to my knees. Because I, I want to live in the freedom of my conscience, knowing that I'm before you, loved and accepted. But it starts with accountability. I love this. He said, don't gloat over me, my enemy. I know I'm sitting in the darkness. I admit that why I'm in darkness, verse 9, is because what? I've sinned. This ain't institutional. I'm talking about Micah, so don't get me out of, out of context. We're talking about us personally. This ain't got nothing to do with my mama and daddy. This ain't got nothing to do with my wife. I have sinned. I've fallen short, and I want to be restored. But you got to be willing to take accountability. If Micah has shown us that pride comes before a fall, then Micah is also showing us that accountability always comes before vindication and freedom. Amen, somebody. If pride comes before a fall, confession and accountability always come before vindication and freedom. Somebody say, I want to live in the light. And this is what Micah says, verse 9, he will bring me out in the light. I will see his righteousness. This is the Lord saying, God, Yahweh will free his prisoners. But when Yahweh frees, it's always a double, double, double thing going on. He's going to free his, his people from being in the dungeon of shame and guilt and sin, and he's going to shame the enemy. This is my favorite subject to talk about. I hate the devil. Amen, somebody. Do y'all enjoy the devil? My son was listening. We were always testing the water on hip-hop and, you know, just whatever. And so we're trying to move him in certain directions and, and whatever. And he was like, Dad, what about this song? This song just says, Dad, I'll kick the devil in the teeth. He said, can I listen to that? I said, all day, son. All day. All day. As much as you want to. Call me when the song come on and I will be rejoicing with we laugh, no? Everything that has been taken away from me, all the things that I have enjoyed, people I've held dear and close, A large percentage of those has been because of the Prince of Darkness. 
I don't play with him. I look forward to the end of the age. I look forward to the lakes of sulfur. It would be great delight for me. Maybe not you, but for me. God pardons his people. Before he pardons them, listen to what's going on. He punishes his people for failing to act like Yahweh. Unjust, oppressing the, you know, exiles and immigrants and holding each other down. He punishes his people for not acting like Yahweh, but then he punishes the nations for not trusting and acknowledging Yahweh. Don't sleep. Some of y'all kind of get the, the justice thing twisted. He's like, oh, God's going to just reward all the people who treat people nice. At the end of this game, it's still do you trust and acknowledge he is Lord. And your whole reason for living right is to glorify him. And those of you all who choose to not acknowledge my lordship, hey, there's, there's an there's a end for that as well too. We don't like to speak about it, but it's true. Verse 10, then, then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is your Lord, your God? Because ultimately you do know this now. Let's just pause for a second. Even the nice people believe in their way. And if they believe in their way, then ultimately that means they have to, by nature, mock God's way. There is no neutrality. Nobody's neutral to God. They're indifferent or they hate him or they think their way is better. You got to accept that, y'all. Oh, that's what y'all doing over there? Oh, that's what y'all do at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning? Yeah, I'm just going to sleep and eat my Cheetos, watch my football game. Why is that? It's just a quieter rebellion. But it's still rebellion, yo. I believe my way is better. This is what they said in Micah's day. Where is the Lord your God? They loved it. My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. But Yahweh loves the reverse chokehold. Did John win last night? John Jones? Did he win last night? Okay, so he was on the mat. I want to pull a hamstring up here, but we do have doctors. Please do it. Oh, please don't. I didn't already gave this church my LCL. We're not going through that no more. Some of y'all, y'all knew coming in, but I had to preach from a stool. Humiliate. Anyway. But Yahweh loves the reversal. He pardons his people, but he punishes those who do not put their faith in him. And ultimately, we look forward, verses 11 and 12, the day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to Euphrates and from the sea. And from mountain to mountain, the earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as a result of their deeds. This is really cool because I don't know what y'all see here, but this is really just two verses that kind of summarize what we did, what we read in Micah 4 and 5. That beautiful picture of Mount Zion and the nations of the earth streaming to Mount Zion because it's become the fulcrum. Everybody now widely, universally accepts that Yahweh's way is right and they want to come learn of him. This is what this verse is talking about. And what happens in verse 13 is ultimately Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem becomes such the center place and the epicenter of earth and goodness and all that is true and beautiful that everything around Jerusalem, everything outside the walls of Jerusalem, what happens to it? It becomes a wasteland. It's just desolate. And this is a spiritual picture of life under Yahweh, and this is a spiritual picture and warning of life outside of the will of Yahweh. Once again, God's law and standard. These are not just study guys. These are not just how you, you know, supposed to live without getting on the, no. God's laws were always meant for our blessing and our flourishing. And one day the whole world will know it. Wow. Look how we could have had it if we but followed his ways. He gave those to us for us. Don't y'all know Christmas time comes and all the kids, they run, they start unpacking the stuff. And they're like, woo, woo, woo. And they picking and they tearing stuff up. And it's like, baby, slow down. Just slow down. We're going to open it. Okay. Boo, 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 boo. Tear it up. And then they start trying to put things together. They don't read the instructions. And it's like, baby, listen, if you would just wait on daddy, I'm trying to help you enjoy the toy. But you got to follow my instructions. But don't you know that instinct in us is like, no, slowing down, Tim Johnson, following the rules, Tim Johnson. That's working against my joy and happiness. And one day we'll all know that wasn't right, that Yahweh was working for our fulfillment and our joy. So in this first section of accountability, we saw the accountability exhibited by God's covenant children when they said, hey, man, we know we're here because of our sins. But we see the positive result of their repenting. And now we see the importance of prayer and the key things to pray for while we are on the mat, while we're in exile. Verse 14, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance which lives by itself in the forest, in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago. All this just brought, brought to mind for me. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Come on, give it to me. Thy will be done as it is. Stop. And I love, is that the first petition, Sam? I think so. I think that's the first petition. The first petition in the daily prayer. Give us, please, our heavenly Father, our daily bread. In the middle of exile, this personified wounded kingdom what does it ask for? We know you're a good shepherd. We know we're here because of our sins, but that doesn't preclude you from taking care of us while we're in this place. I know just like good Presbyterians do, we've resigned everything to God's providence. And sometimes you've used that providence as an excuse not to pray. But let me call you back and just say, no, y'all, I don't believe that's biblical or scriptural. Yes, our God is sovereignly ordering all of the affairs of human history towards his glory and for our good. But he's also asked us to pray that the good shepherd would take care of our every need. Stub toes, headaches, funny money, my wife acting up. Every one of your needs. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. 
What kind of prayers are yours that God won't answer? You tell me. Tell me how small a prayer request is that gets filed in to the lesser box. You tell me, child of God. Why don't we bring it to him? Why don't we bring it to him? In the middle of exile, what's he do? He says, I know I'm here for the wrong things, but he says, yo, please, Lord, shepherd your people because I know that's what you do. You have been taking care of your people from Goshen to Egypt and to now the promised land, and you will do the same even as now we are under captivity, a northern and a southern kingdom, Assyria, Babylon, Rome, shepherd your people. And even in the middle of it, let them feed in Bashan, Bashan and Gilead, those were fertile areas uh, east of the Jordan. So what should we be praying for? as we long for our true home, as we are laying on the spiritual mats in our life, what should we be praying for? Lord, protect us. Take that staff and keep us from the evil one. Amen, somebody. Keep us. And I mean in all ways. Literally, we were here Wednesday morning praying. The other Wednesday morning, two Wednesdays ago, they went rummaging through Aaron's car. Then the other Wednesday morning, I'm walking out the door. They call me, say, PT, wait a second. Somebody's sitting in your front seat. I pray for all of it. I ain't just praying about my spiritual health. I'm praying about my, my well-being, everything. Protect my children. Protect my, keep us in our right mind. Everything I got to lift up to him. Protect us, Jesus. Pray for sustenance. Give us our daily bread. Whatever it is we need to live physically, spiritually, emotionally, God, give it. Divinely supply it to us. Put us in the right people, the right spaces, that our soul would be nourished. Our bodies would be healthy and strong. I pray for it all. Pray for guidance to pasture. Lead me to the right people. Lead me beside still waters. Restore my soul, Lord Jesus, and deliver me from the evil one. Get me out of his clutches. I know every day of my life, the evil one has a plan for my life to get me to doubt you. God, but get, get me out. Deliver me from his grip. Deliver me from besetting sins. Deliver me from the lust in my heart. Deliver me from the anger that still resides. Deliver me from the feelings of Pray for it all, y'all. Pray while you're on the mat. Because just because you are in the valley doesn't mean your shepherd is not there with you. And maybe while you're in the valley, that's when you need to pray the hardest. Because I need to be aware that I'm not here alone. We were listening to a man give a testimony. He said, if there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. Do you believe it? Come on, man. If the Bible's calling us to hope, this one great pastor somewhere out there, then there is power here now to make sure we get safely to where we need to go. But I love this. You know, we tie trivet. If he did it before, he can do it again. And then, you know, y'all CCM folks, y'all always get stuff and remix. And I believe he's gonna do it again. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie though, that's one of my favorite songs. I ain't gonna lie. 
I love me a good stadium jam. <laughs> I love that junk. Come on. Yes. Come on, everybody. Yes. Oh, yes. But this is, this is your verse. One commentator just said this is literally, literarily at the center of verses 14 and 17. Like this is right, sandwiched in the middle, verse 15. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Yo, man, I can't. Amen. Let me just. Your God is still a deliverer. And the God who still splits billion gallon seas is capable of doing no less feats to get you where he's going to bring you. Come on. I don't want you to ever lose your awe, Christian. Don't you lose your wonder, Christian. Don't you lose your sense of imagination and wonderment. He's still a great big God and will do great big things on your behalf, Christian. Don't lose it. Don't lose it, Christian. Woo, you got, a, you got one who got some things in the tank he ain't even showed you yet. If he can create food to sustain his people, what is this? It don't exist. I just made it. What can't he do for you? He who did not spare his own son, will he not also with him freely give you how many, a little bit of things? all things. Come on, man. Don't you doubt your God. He got stuff in the arsenal. And so, we, we come to account. We acknowledge that it's us who has been unfaithful to the covenant. And then we pray. We pray for protection and for deliverance and sustenance and guidance while we're on the mat. But then we praise him too because he's worthy. Can I get a witness somebody? Who is a God like you, verse 18, who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Oh, man. He's so worthy, y'all. What do we praise him for? I think we just see three things focused on in, in this next couple of verses. His character, which is his merciful his mercy and his compassion. We praise him for the destruction of the power of sin, and we praise him for his covenant faithfulness. Let's talk about his mercy and compassion real quick. Micah. You know, Micah's name means who is like the Lord. And look at verse 18. Then we get an answer at the final chapter of the book. Micah, who is like the Lord? Well, who is a God like you? Let me tell you. What's this God like? One commentator says that this question highlights the unrivaled nature of the God who defends and pardons his people. His mercy and compassion are literally unrivaled. There is nothing to compare him to. We create words that we can use words about mercy and compassion for you humans. And then when we start talking about steadfast covenant love and loyalty and compassion and patience, we just got to use a whole nother word to describe that. That's God's word. Hesse, come on, man. Come on, man. Listen to me now. He delights in steadfast love. This is why God forgives and relents of his anger, right? 
So when you want to know why God lifts his hand off of them and doesn't just wipe them out utterly, it's because his preference is steadfast love. He likes being the one who has the uncanny love. I affirmed my brother yesterday. This your verse, sitting in the room. He's like, Tim, man, I just seem to be such a poor judge of character. I'm always being overly lenient, overly merciful. Oh, but listen at my God, my brother. You tell me what he prefers, to be the God who always gets it right? Or he wants to be the dude who's looked at as, man, you know, you can probably, he going to be extra patient to you because that's just what he do. What did Jonah say? What was one of the reasons why Jonah didn't want to go to people who justifiably deserve God's judgment? Why are you sending me over there? All you go do is forgive them. This is what our God, this is what his rep is. So now people, you go out apologists, you in the postmodern, post-Christian world, now you represent our God faithfully. He wants to be known as the God who extends the mercy, but don't play him though. Don't play him. Don't play him. Eventually, if you end up in the, per- in the pool that don't get the mercy, you chose it. You chose it. Because as long as you have breath, the message of the gospel is come. Come experience rivers of my mercy and unusual compassion. If you can hear my voice today, harden not your heart. Just come. I don't care how you look. I don't care who you're sleeping with. I don't care what you're smoking. I don't care how many pills you just took. I don't care who you're cheating. I don't care if you lied on your taxes. Come to me. Just come. Come. I want you to experience my compassion. But if you don't choose to come, you will experience my wrath. He's compassionate. He's merciful. Verse 19, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underneath our feet and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. This is so cool. Do you know how Israel literally was solidified as a nation? Right? This is imagery. You got to, listen, y'all got to pay attention. As long as we be reading this Bible, we got to start understanding how this thing is arranged. A lot of it is poetic. The word choice, the wordsmithing, it's just, it's there on purpose. How did Israel begin as a nation when they crossed that billion-gallon sea? And guess what was thrown in the sea? Them Egyptian bodies that was chasing them down. And guess what God is going to do for you? It's the same thing he did to them Egyptians. Your sins will drown in the deep abyss. Come on, man. That's what God's going to do. I'm going to have compassion on my people. I'm going to destroy their sin. It's going to be forgotten. Not only will he forget it, he's going to annihilate it, not so that it just doesn't become how you're identified, but so it no longer, we've seen that all throughout Micah, so that would no longer be a threat to you anymore. Your lust, your anger, it will no longer be a threat to you anymore. That's what, he's going to eliminate all the things that have rivaled him at some point. Can I get a, ooh, come on, somebody. We praise him for his mercy and compassion. We praise him for the destruction of sin and its power over us, and we praise him for his covenant faithfulness. 20, you will be faithful to Jacob. 
and show love to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our ancestors in days long ago. What I don't have enough time to unpack, but just trust me, is that God kept his covenant promises to Abraham through Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. By sending Jesus, by allowing the punishment of our sins to fall on Jesus, by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And then here's the thing. This is how he kept his promise to Father Abraham and many sons. It wasn't the biological sons, but he gave and fulfilled that promise to Father Abraham by raising up this multinational family, this remnant of people who also had faith in Yahweh. Galatians 3, 6, verses 9. I'll just read it for you. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Pause, 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 pause. Let me just pause. If you got a Bible, take it out, highlight it, put it. I don't care. The Bible app, you can highlight it in the Bible app. Did y'all know that? The Bible app. Praise God for the Bible app. <laughs> just on the server out there, the great big server that Bezos owns or something. I don't know, but... He's keeping all of my beautiful notes and highlights somewhere. You do realize that how we know that you are a part of the kingdom, you don't get an examination like they do when they test you to see if you're a good minister or not in our denomination. You got to go stand before people and they, all right, tell me about your, your views on Azabazabali. You don't get the ACT on the spiritual quiz that say, all right, if you make a 90, you are legitimately a Christian. You want to know if you believe God? If you are a Christian, your faith in Him. It's so simple, but it's so hard to do. And then you go to Hebrews 11. What does that look like? It looks like Abraham and his whole family are settled in a land by themselves, and all of a sudden God says, go. And his faith in that moment to just go was accredited to him as righteousness. Now, how is that for a catechism? Where's your belief in Yahweh? Do you believe that he's right? And if he told you to go, would you go? And if he told you to stay, would you stay? And if he told you that he wanted you to change some things about your life, that you're not wrong, but some of the things that you're doing is wrong, would you fight with him or would you just do it? And if he told you that you had to forgive, would you forgive? And if he told you you had to love the person of the other race, would you do it? Or do you believe that God and his ways are right? You can keep all your ologies and basologies and whatever. And you could just tell me whether or not you believe in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So what did we learn in Micah? Y'all just stay with me. Yahweh lays out a standard, a just and equitable standard for his people for not only their flourishing, but the world's flourishing, but especially those who have been redeemed by him, right? Then, then, then Yahweh is forced because he is just. There has to be consequences for either adhering to God's covenant law or choosing to disregard it. 
And what has happened here is that there's been judgment, not because they didn't follow it perfectly. It's because they would never turn. They would never repent and acknowledge that they were wrong. But the remnant in this last chapter, verse 7, I mean, uh, chapter 7, what we see is that those who acknowledge their failure to keep God's law and repent, and those who reaffirm their commitment to live by faith in Yahweh, those are the people who receive the covenant blessings. When you start talking about Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and God's slow to anger, he's compassionate, he'll forgive, that is speaking to a specific people. We are not universalists. Everybody don't get all the good stuff, y'all. But here's the thing, we always get confused. The people who get God's good stuff aren't perfect. They're just the people who will acknowledge they're wrong and keep reaffirming their commitment to live his way. So today, do you want it? Do you want to live in that freedom, knowing that all of God's promises, covenant promises are for you? Man, yesterday, invite the team up, I was... Uh, Man, you never know when this stuff pops up, man. You know, there are, um, you know pieces of my story. You don't know all my story. And uh, yesterday, unexpectedly, I just kind of, I know it's just forced to see some of the scars that I have left in people's lives, people I've hurt, and it wasn't nobody else's fault but me. Selfish, impulsive. I wanted what I wanted at that moment. I took it. And then just kind of in the moment of reminiscing, I was just sitting down and uh, Gina was just like, Tim, I can't, I can't believe that you were like that. There's some things that I've done in my life that your hug could never console me of. There's no amount of Hallmark cards that could make me feel better for some of the things I've done and the people I've hurt. And the only thing I have to hold on to is that that is true. <laughs> that he is a God who is compassionate and he does delight in the mercy. If that's not true, I, I, I don't actually have a hope. Do you believe that? Is that your gospel? That I can turn 
At any moment, I am free to turn to him, acknowledge that I am wrong, and he will receive me. There is never a moment in your life where that is not true. But you got to feel the weight of your sin. You got to be willing to say, Israel, it was us, Lord. We have failed you. But we also know these other things about you. Who is like our God? Compassionate. Slow to anger. 